Hello, and welcome to So Curious, a new podcast from the Franklin Institute. In this season, Human 2.0, we'll be talking to scientists and non-scientists about technology, innovation, and the human experience. We are your hosts. I'm Angelica Pasquini. And I am the Bull Bay, but you can just call me Bay. On today's episode, we're going to be talking with artist and prosthetic user, Mason Carter, and Pennsylvania's Designated Assistive Technology Act Program's Tech Owl. You know, the funny thing about assistive technology is that the topic itself is so broad, right? So you're like, what is that? <laughs> like, there's so many different things. You know what it makes me think of as seen on TV? There's like all these gadgets and handy ways to right. fix everyday solutions. Yeah. So it's like, oh, you're going to take hot soup out of the microwave and I it's love too those. hot. Here's something to put on your hand. When I think of assistive tech, like the first thing that pops into my head is like a cane or a walker. Mm -hmm. It's kind of low tech, but still very much assistive in a lot of different ways on those little grabbers. The, like something that might be very difficult for a person, there's a very simple solution with assistive tech. And I think that's a really cool way to think about it is it doesn't take much sometimes, like what you're saying about a cane. Right. Cane's been around forever. Forever. Ability changes from day to day. And sometimes it's not always about the person. It's about the, the landscape, the environment that, that surrounds you. You know, here in Philadelphia, our sidewalks aren't the best. Our roads might be even worse. It could be rough getting around, even for people who have the, the full capabilities of their limbs and legs. So Lerd knows assistive tech is super, super useful. And, you know, also Philadelphia has one location, a rec center for the differently abled community. And there's been all kinds of dialogue around that in terms of its demolition, in terms of how long it's going to be there and the, the funds and things like that. So assistive tech is really important. People need to have their needs met regardless of who they are. Yeah, for sure. And it's also about like making the environment around you uh, work for you rather than you having to edit yourself or edit your day, add time onto your day to be able to get from A to B. It's like our world can be literally a smoother surface, <laughs> both metaphorically and literally. I'm excited to talk more about assistive technology with someone who uses it every day. We're going to talk to artist and prosthetics user Mason Carter about his career in art and his relationship with his prosthesis. Mason Carter is the creator and mayor of Blendini City, which is an ongoing artistic story about a city where all the buildings are alive and have their own personalities and feelings. Feeling devastated by the demolished treasures found around the city, he asked himself the question, what if buildings had feelings too? And started to draw neighborhoods until he had created a whole world. He hopes that Blendini can serve as an example for how we think about future cities and a space that celebrates the past, present, and future. Mason Carter, welcome. Can you introduce yourself? My name is Mason Carter, and I am the creator and mayor of Blendonia City. Which is an ongoing artistic story about a city where all the buildings are alive and have their own personalities and feelings. My favorite thing that I found when researching you is this little excerpt. I created Blendini City to be an anecdote to the fears I have about future cities becoming too inhuman thanks to the corporate takeover of daily life. So Mason, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Oh, absolutely. So more and more, we've had this over-reliance on corporations. And when I talk about corporations, it's that's a bit broad. But I think 
multinational corporations like Walmart, Amazon, and the like, who are basically supplanting the role that community used to play in especially our commerce. And so there's a social aspect to commerce that's being lost in current society, where when you actually are able to patronize local businesses and be able to walk around, you're forming relationships with the people that work at certain stores. And it's not just about consumerism. You're buying things, but you're also forming relationships with people that you run into in the store, the owners, people that work there. In an ideal community, money is circulating around the town or the city as opposed to being extracted and just fed into this overall global corporation. How did you come up with the name Blandini? I was just inspired by um, Rita's, actually. Um, Wait, Rita's? Water ice? Yeah, water ice. They have a dessert dessert (laughs) called the Blendini. Oh, amazing. If you were to do business with the city of Blendini, you'd actually be doing it with the city of Blendonia. Understood. That's on the... Blendini is a colloquial term. Um, And so when I was coming up with it, so I just just started out by doing doodles of, of buildings. How would you explain physically what Blendini is in this this physical world? So right now, its physicality is all based on its drawings. Right now, there's no exhibition for it, although I have shown off the city before at the Neon Museum of Philadelphia. So I was exhibiting there for a while. And so you could go into the Neon Museum and actually see of all the different neighborhoods. So when I draw the city out, I'm drawing either neighborhoods or building portraits. So I'll focus on one building in great detail. Really quickly, switching gears, I definitely want to talk about your story in terms of the assistive technology that you use. Can you give us a brief backstory to the kind of assistive technology that you use, where you were before and where you are today? So I'm an at-birth amputee. It was something that wasn't even really easily detected in the womb in my ultrasounds. So I suffered from a birth defect called amniotic band syndrome. Okay. Amniotic band was actually wrapped around my leg as it was developing. It literally stopped the development of my leg. So my leg actually looks quite different than the average amputee. That's defined my journey a lot because as an at-birth amputee, this is the life that I've known. So well, you're assistive technology, right? What specifically, like in your relationship with it, as you grow taller yeah (laughs) what how does this work now you go to the doctor all the like what what's it like when you're growing up the times that i had to get the most adjustments were during my growth spurt Mm -hmm. um during puberty oh man you're a tall guy yeah i mean there was a time (laughs) where i was growing like crazy that that required me going in every six months to get a new prosthesis every time i would have my leg cast into a mold the mold would create the socket where my leg fits in. Through that, they'd make a new you know, carbon fiber leg. So every time, especially when I was growing, the fit could be a bad fit in a very quick amount of time. Yeah. And then you would feel that difference in your walking. When growing up and I knew that I had to get a new prosthetic, there would just be certain parts that would really hurt. 
Gotcha. Because it's just my the shape of my leg is changing. There there were times where I would have to get a new leg, or other times where just little adjustments could be made. Um, I'm a below the knee amputee. Since I've been in fourth grade, I've really had the same kind of leg each time. The tech itself hasn't changed that much, and I think it's just because of how how revolutionary like carbon fiber as a material is. And also the fact that a lot of these legs, especially on the foot, they're pretty overbuilt. So they last, they last a good amount of time. I'd say that if anything, what has improved has been the ability for the leg to withstand compound fractures. Would you want to see them like start building in technology like a GPS if you happen to lose it or maybe something that gives you reports and emails? Do you want to see technology built into these prosthetics or assistive technologies? What would be very cool is a tech that could keep track of your gait while you're walking. Is that like your stride? Yeah. Okay. So how you walk. I remember one time I was going to see a chiropractor mm. and she observed my gait and she said, if you keep walking like this, this will be an issue for you down the line as you get older. The things that I do that I was able to really do as a young person, I'll walk on my knees or I'll just crawl around. Hopping is a very nice, fast way to get around. But my processist, when I was a young boy, predicted that hopping would give me problems down the line. Mm. He's absolutely right. Yeah. And so now I have to be very careful with how I do that because now I really feel the, the pain. But to get back to your point, I think that an assistive technology to detect how you're walking would be would be really good. And I, I hope that it's already that it already exists. Something that's actually nice about my leg not having any electronics with it is that it's more durable. When you rely on electronics, there's a, an extra layer of fragility that you that you have to worry about. Yeah. So. Yeah. It can malfunction. Has there been any emotional experiences that you have encountered yourself or from someone else, essentially differentiating from someone who was born without a limb or someone who had to undergo yeah. uh, the process of getting a limb removed? What's the differences, I guess, is what I'm trying to ask. Yeah. The big difference that I didn't have to go through versus somebody that had to just have their leg amputated is our brains have this entire map of our bodies. And so phantom limb is a huge problem that people have to go through when they've just lost a leg. And is this something that you've experienced? I have not because since I'm an at-birth amputee, right. my brain has mapped out my body and right, it's, right. it's always been my physical form. That's the big difference. Now that you're older and you have have this lived experience that you can look back on and reflect on what went well and what you wish were different, when you see modern society and, and the way that people have access to um, assistive technologies or anything you'd like to see different or any points you have on that? I would love to see better access <laughs> overall. One issue that I see is that it's tougher for people to get into prosthetics than it used to be because now you need a master's degree in order to become a prosthetist. You could get a certificate, then get on the job training, and you could become an apprentice at an actual prosthetic shop. Unfortunately, because of 
the educational system where more and more jobs are requiring advanced degrees, there's less of a pool of people that are able to do this. There's a need for schooling, but affordable certificate-based options would be, uh, we need to go back towards that. And then, of course, the other thing is just the prosthetics are very expensive and for, for good reason, but it's very unfair for, for people that become amputees and then they can't afford the $20,000. The cost and the amount of people in prosthetics, all that really needs to change. Real quick, I'm going to squeeze in this question. Just fill in the blank. The future as a, of assisted technology is bright. Okay, there you go. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Bay, I think it's time that we should marinate on what, what we just learned. Time to reflect. What did you think of that? Yeah, so Mason Carter, that was really interesting. I love the art. And, you know, he's up in the neon uh, exhibit, the neon museum. Like his stuff is pretty built out. He has a, a transit line. Did you see that? Yeah, it's amazing. So essentially, like what a visionary and imaginative person. I really loved speaking with him. So that was so interesting to learn about the differences between being an at-birth amputee versus a person who experiences a trauma and loses a limb. Right, right. In all these conversations, you know, in science and tech, it's always been about like the baseline. And I mm -hmm. thought that was really interesting too. Where's your baseline? Where are you starting from? And for him, it was at birth. It, you know, the the use of a second uh, leg or limb um, in his lower extremities was was never there. But for other people, they started off with full four ligaments <laughs> um, and lost that use. And so now they have what phantom, you know, pains and their brain kind of maps out their body. Yeah, that was really interesting the phantom to me. limb syndrome. That was very interesting. The brain mapping out the body is just so interesting. And yeah. It was something that really, really struck me. And so if you lose a finger, your brain is, is still thinking, oh, I got this little index here. Where is it? And mm -hmm. it's trying to move it and wiggle it. And, and, and perform uh, acts. Yeah, that was fascinating. He said it was $20,000 each time he had a new leg That's and he's going through change. growth spurts. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. You know, most people cannot do that. I thought that was so eye-opening. I mean, when do you ever get to learn about something like that? Okay, now we get to talk to even more people who can speak on assistive technology. Our last two guests represent Tech Owl. Tech Owl stands for technology for our whole lives and is a part of Pennsylvania's Initiative on Assistive Technology, a program to help people with disabilities and others to find and get the tools and technology they need. The services they provide include a lending library, free special phones, a used equipment program, and training about accessibility and assistive technologies for the home and the community. We're speaking with Kim Singleton, who is the Director of Assisted Technology Programs at the Institute on Disabilities and Thomas D'Agostino, Outreach and Training Coordinator. Hello to you both. Can you introduce yourselves? Hi, my name's Kim Singleton, and I'm the Senior Director of Assistive Technology Programs at the Institute on Disabilities, which is where TechAL is, at Temple University. My name is Tom D'Agostino. I'm the Outreach and Training Coordinator for TechAll Programs at the Institute on Disabilities at Temple University. Thank you guys so much for coming in today. Yeah, we're excited mm -hmm. to talk to you. But to open up the conversation, could you just define uh, assistive technology? Assistive technology is any gadget, tool, or device that increases, maintains, or improves anyone's functional independence. And I also like to include that it's like action-specific. So assistive technology is inherently action-focused rather than disability-focused. 
So the term assistive technology was actually coined back in the late 90s. The government needed a way to differentiate technology tools and gadgets for people with disabilities as opposed to the rest of the population because they wanted to pay for people with disabilities and not for the general public. The term assistive technology really is an oxymoron, right? There's no technology that's not assistive. Right. It's oh, just yeah. so assistive really speaks to who they're willing to pay for. And the government has made a commitment to help people who have identified, and I'm doing air quotes, disabilities. Right. They're not going to get a smart home device, for instance, for somebody who doesn't have an identified disability. But they may for somebody who does. And speaking of... Uh... The government, TechEye is a part of the Pennsylvania's initiative to, for, of assistance technology, and a lot of states have these programs. TechEye is the designated Assistive Technology Act program for Pennsylvania. The governor designated it um, about 30 years ago. Okay. Every single state and territory has an Assistive Technology Act program, which means that there was an act passed by Congress that gave funds to these programs in each state. That all started around the same time that the term assistive technology was coined. And can you talk about its importance? And also, is it enough? <laughs> so it's funny because think about 30 years ago and what technology looked like. Assistive technology was really thought to be kind of an outlier. It, it wasn't mainstream technology. It was really special things. 30 years later, we see that a lot of things that were developed as assistive technology are actually mainstream technology. Good example of that is a voice-controlled remote yeah, or an Alexa. That all came out of research for assistive technology, but the general population said, hey, bring it on. We like this and we, we want to incorporate this into our culture. Is it enough? No. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, of course not. Thank you for your honesty. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to help people potentially get things that help them be more independent. Technology changes so fast that it really does take an army of people to keep up with it, which is what we do. I would love to talk about your social media outreach what role social media plays in creating community around what you're doing and raising awareness within assistive technology. Something that I found uniquely interesting with TikTok and something that we're all starting to like really understand is that there's like a very vibrant and live disabilities community. And something that assistive technology tackles is the normalization of disability and the destigmatization of disability. And it kind of like makes everyone aware that like this is something that just happens and we shouldn't shy away from it. Your website says for many people, technology makes things easier. For some, technology makes things possible. Can you expand on that a little bit more? Sure. We stole that okay. completely. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's not original. That is absolutely not original. Wonderful. I don't even remember who said it, but it's it was pretty... Person. Yeah, it's well, pretty, do you believe it? <laughs> yes, it's pretty ingrained in our culture that for everything, some things are inaccessible to people without a piece of technology to help them. We just moved into new offices. We're part of the Institute on Disabilities at Temple University. And there's been this thing called a supply chain shortage, and we haven't been able to get the automatic door opener for our front door. So every day somebody needs to get there early and prop the door open so our folks on our teams that use mobility aids can get in the front door. Right. And another example 
because we do have someone on our team who's blind, um, how do you receive a text message if you can't see your phone, right? right. Yep. Yeah. And so there is voiceover technology. And so your phone literally can turn, press an accessibility button to voiceover, and then you can literally have your phone speak all of the content to you. Without that voiceover on your phone, a person who is blind most likely would not be able to have any access to a cell phone. And like having access to modern communication so that you can mm -hmm. talk with everyone you know, to the best mm -hmm. of your ability or listen to everyone to the best of your ability and be able to connect. Mm -hmm. And it makes me think of I Can Connect, which is yeah. amazing. Mm -hmm. um, so I Can Connect connects people with hearing and vision loss with equipment so they can make a phone call, send an email, access the Internet or use other forms of communication. That's a national program. Oh, cool. That is um, supported through the FCC. And we are the Pennsylvania designee for the I Can Connect program. Great. And it is for communication, hence the FCC, um, for people who have both vision and hearing loss. There are a lot of people in our society who have both vision and hearing loss. How does Tech Owl increase autonomy and why is this important? Every person, because of their personhood, should have agency. And for some people, we can walk through the world that is built around us because we are what the world was built for. And for other people, the world wasn't built for us. And so it's a combination between the world changing, our society changing, and becoming more accessible and becoming easier to navigate. And personal things that you can do for yourself, like um, Tom was talking about voiceover on a smartphone. Well, you have to know that it's there. There's so much in a smartphone, you're not going to know everything that's there. I mean, I have so many apps on my smartphone that I don't even open. And so part of what we do is we figure out what's there today and how we're going to keep up with what's there tomorrow. I, I always say, and this is a little corny, but you know you and we know stuff. And together we will solve problems. OK, so that's very different from what we typically think of as the medical model, mm. where we are experts and we're going to tell you what it is that you need and what yeah. kind of wheelchair you need and what kind of when that doesn't really give the, the person with the disability the kind of agency back to independence and agency and control that they deserve as human beings. Yeah. And it makes me think about, you know, the bottom line, which is money and funding. And it makes me think about the accessibility, not only in, in what you guys are providing, right? And programs like yours, but also how our society is helping fund this. And if there's awareness and information that our listeners could learn about and understand better about funding and how do we address the issue of those who do not have access or means to this technology? I think the great thing about being like a statewide resource is that we we're like very connected in this sphere. And so for Pennsylvanians, we just say when in doubt, contact us, get in contact with us. We're very responsive. We have a lot of professionals across a lot of different disciplines on the team that we could pretty securely kind of direct someone into a specific lane for funding. Or, you know, we do have our we have our I can connect program that provides devices for people who are deafblind. We have a free special phone program that works with a variety of disabilities. If you can't use a phone in a typical way, then you qualify, basically. If you have um, low income. 
And if you're a low income mm -hmm. and we have our fabrication program. And so we try to like DIY or make or 3D print devices. So we have certain ways in which we can get people the devices that they need if funding is an issue. And then we also understand a lot of the funding sources within the state. But then also we understand the private loan situation as well. You know, I want to go back to how people get stuff is really important. But if we lived in a community that was truly universally designed, people would have to get less. It would just be in the fabric of our community. You know, I totally agree. I live out in West Philly, and I'm sure this is throughout the entire city. I, pe I see people in uh, mobile chairs in the street. In a conversation that I had with a friend of mine who skateboards, it became clear to me that the sidewalks in Philadelphia are atrocious. Thank you. I was looking for an adjective. I like that one. <laughs> That's a good one. Atrocious. Yeah, no, they're terrible. Scary. Unsafe. My, my, so my sister has cerebral palsy. And when I was in college, I went to Temple as an undergrad, like multiple times, like one brother on one side, the other brother on the other side, making sure that she could walk on the side because the sidewalk is so uneven and she drags her feet, right? That's like, that's the way in which she walks. And if you're dragging your feet and there's like a one inch like gap between the two stones and the sidewalk, she's going to fall. And, and if you really think about that, yes, it would definitely help folks who use powered mobility. It would definitely help them. But it would also help mothers with strollers. It would also help skateboarders. It would also help Bicycle. people on bicycles. It's just universal design. It just makes sense. Right. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Can you talk about bringing uh, ability or disability into the larger mainstream conversation? I, I feel like sometimes when it gets brought up, people tense up and there's like a stigma around it or a, a discomfort. How can people start to work toward being very comfortable with talking about these things and then the step beyond that, including it in our our, our decision making, our voting, our legislation, our culture? Representation, right? A place at the table, right? I mean, mm. we're all talking about that. Whatever our affinity group is, whatever our ident identity is, we all need a place at the table. And that includes people with a variety of disabilities. You know, you can't have one person with a disability at the table and think that now you, you've covered it. You've checked mm. off your disability block, right? Or checked yep. off that box because everybody's experience is so different. Having someone with a disability, right? They are their advocate, right? People are their own advocates and people understand their lived experiences the best. The importance to have a variety of people with a variety of experiences. And not only that, but the expectation to listen is really mm. important. That's huge. Where do we need to go in the future? What do we need to invent? What is the next level of integration? So I, ready. <laughs> I teach the assistive technology and universal design for learning course at Temple University. And my students just had a quiz with the question of what needs to be invented that hasn't been because it needs to be crowdsourced. I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you this is what we need. The people who are thinking for themselves about what they wish they could do can really give us insights about what it is that the direction that we need to go. I'm Thank so you for coming on So Curious. We Thank really, you. really appreciate it so much. Hi, this is Angelica Pasquini from So Curious. You know what? We love making this show. Okay, but sometimes there are great fits and we just can't fit them into the episode. So we put together a bunch of great bonus content and you can find that available at beyond.fm.
fi.edu. Thanks so much to Tech Owl and to Mason Carter. This concludes the episode of So Curious, presented by the Franklin Institute. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast is part of the Franklin Institute. The Franklin Institute is a science museum located in Philadelphia. The Franklin Institute's mission is to inspire a passion for learning about science and technology. For more information on everything about the Franklin Institute, visit fi.edu. This podcast is produced by Radio Kismet. Radio Kismet is Philadelphia's premier podcast network for businesses looking to develop their own branded podcast content. Check them out at radiokismet.com. There's a lot of people who make this podcast happen. Thanks to the producers, Joy Montefusco and Jayatri Das. Our managing producer, Emily Cherish. Our operations head, Christopher Plant. Our associate producer, Liliana Green. Our audio team, Christian Cedarlund, Goldie Bingley, Lauren DeLuca, and Brad Florent. Our development producer, Obeola Bucola. Our science writer, Kira Veyette. And our graphic designer, Emma Sager. See you next week.